Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. Want to welcome you in this new year. And uh, if you're here in the sanctuary worshiping with us or you're worshiping with us online, it's awesome to have you here and starting off the new year worshiping together. Um, I don't know how you are with the new year when a new year begins. I know this year has felt a little bit different to me. One of the reasons why is on New Year's Day, I went out to my driveway and there were worms, earthworms, crawling across my driveway on January the 1st. Doesn't that seem fundamentally flawed in some strange way? On January, it's supposed to be absolutely freezing cold, but I think because of prayer and the favor of God, it's warm. And I'm thrilled with that. I grew up in Wisconsin and I've had enough cold. I told a friend of mine recently that if I never see snow again, that'll be too soon. But this new year, at times, depending on where you exited the last year, can feel a little bit different. By the way, how many of you have already filled something out and written 2021 instead of 2022? Am I the only one literally writing this sermon? I wrote 2021, and it was the new year. Now, with all of this said, as you are aware, if you've been around City, this entire year we are going to focus on the kingdom of God. What is it? And we're doing that very, very intentionally, and this morning's sermon is going to give us somewhat of an overview and kind of a programmatic look at what's coming for this year and why we're doing what we're doing. But before we get there, there's another important piece of business we need to deal with, and it begins with the form of a question. How many of you have already made your New Year's resolution? Raise your hand. Raise it real high, seriously. Loud and proud, way up. Keep it up. Come on now. You're getting shame of not... Keep your hand up. The rest of you look around. By the way, it's interesting to note that if you look up statistics on New Year's resolutions, what you see in this room is 100% accurate. 30 years ago, about 85% of Americans made a New Year's resolution. Now it's very fascinating to know, let me give you some quick statistics. Only 51% of people who are 55 or over will make a New Year's resolution. The reason is, I'm 57, we know well enough, they don't work. That's why we don't do it. But those from the age of 18 to 24, 87% will make a New Year's resolution. They have not yet learned what we already know to be true. Now, what's interesting to note, though, about New Year's resolutions, if you actually make a resolution and you make it at the first of the year, the beginning of the year, you have a 10 times greater chance of accomplishing that and let, and other than if you made it later in the year. Very fascinating. There is something about the human mind where you make a resolution earlier in the year. Now, let's go negative first. Why do New Year's resolutions fail for the mere handful of us that made them this year? First of all, it's been studied, as almost everything has been. Reasons for failure. 
study was done, 35% had set unrealistic goals. 33% did not keep track of their progress. We'll get back to that in a moment. Uh, 10% said they failed because they made too many resolutions. And 23% said they failed their resolution because they forgot what it was. <laughs> now, moving on. Here's some tips to making a good New Year's resolution. Interesting to note, one specialist who studies this said, it is better to pose it as a question instead of a declaration. Interesting. The next thing they talked about was get plenty of sleep, to which I laughed to myself and thought, what, is, what if that's your goal? Your New Year's resolution was to get more sleep. Then it said, your resolution must be clearly stated so that you actually know what it is. And when you state it, you need to put it as incremental realities instead of an overarching context. In other words, instead of saying, I want to start running, you begin by saying, I'm going to run a mile every three days, whatever it is. But what they talked about was most important of all. In order for a resolution to work, you have to recognize the value of something. You have to recognize its value. After you recognize its value, you must change your perspective towards what you're recognizing. In other words, you have to have a clear understanding of what is needed and why, and then you must measure your progress. By the way, they are saying that the younger generation who is yet still so hopeful actually might do well because there are apps for everything. And so the younger generation is employing apps to fulfill their New Year's resolutions. It's fascinating. The other thing that they talked about was that not only would apps be helpful, but employing practical helps, that helps you stay focused. And then finally, what they say is always take the journey with others. If you do that and you ask for help and seek accountability, you'll discover that your New Year's resolution actually might have a fighting chance, which is way above the 8% of people that actually successfully end the year with their New Year's resolution intact. Now, with all of this in mind, what I want to do this morning, again, is to talk to us about the kingdom of God. I want to set kind of the overtone, the overarching tone for the entire year. But before we look forward, as preaching often is, preaching's often for the purpose of reminding us. So I want to remind us of two important things about those of us that call City Church our home. Number one, we are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church. Biblically-based means that we believe that Scripture truly is the Word of God. We believe that the Bible explains to us who God is and how God interacts with humankind. We are biblically based. Next, we are relationally driven. We believe that relationship is the essence of life because Jesus taught that. Jesus taught that to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself is the most important thing in life. Loving God, relationship. Loving people, relationship. Jesus teaches that relationship truly is the essence of life. 
and then spirit-led. Spirit-led simply means that we believe and have experienced in the Bible promises that upon Jesus' ascension, the Holy Spirit would be sent. And the Holy Spirit was sent into the world to help us live out what we learn in Scripture and to empower us in the relationships of our lives. Because how many of us know at times you read the Bible and you think to yourself, I can't do this on my own. Am I the only one? Let me reframe that. Have you ever read the Sermon on the Mount? If you have, you know you can't do this on your own. Or conversely, you know that you need the power of the Holy Spirit because of the people in your life. If relationship is the essence of life, you need the presence of the Holy Spirit. Am I right? Let me put it this way. Have you ever been married? You know you need the power of the Holy Spirit, not because of who they are, it's because of who you are. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. But practically speaking, being biblically-based, relationally-driven, and spirit-led brings us to the following. You hear this every Sunday. Follow Jesus. Grow together. Serve others. If you look at the Scripture and are relationally driven and spirit-led, you will discover that the Scriptures call us to follow Jesus, grow together, and to not live for ourselves. We are called in the kingdom of God to be people that serve others. Now, as we look forward into the kingdom of God, what we're going to discover is what we understand about the kingdom of God becomes absolutely critical on how we view Jesus. And so this morning again, this sermon is going to be an overarching look and kind of a programmatic forecasting of what's going to be coming through the pulpit here at City Church and programmatically all year. So where I want to begin is we look at our text this morning as I would like to look at Mark chapter 1, verse 1. In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, here's how the gospel of Mark starts. The beginning of the, what are the next two words? Let's say it out loud. Good news. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as is written in Isaiah, the prophet. In other words, this is not a new story. This story does not begin with Jesus. It begins in the Older Testament, but finds fulfillment in the newer. But if you were to look in the scripture and you would look at the text that we just read, Mark begins the gospel by writing the beginning of the, what are those two words? Good news. You see, how you view good news is huge, especially if we are going to be followers of Jesus in his kingdom. The word good news in the original language is the Greek word euangelion. I want you to say it out loud. Euangelion. That's the Greek word. And the Greek word euangelion is translated four times in the NIV as good news and 73 times as gospel. So the gospel is good news. And any time in the Newer Testament you read the words good news, guess what you can insert in there? Gospel. It's the same word. But what we need to be clear about is what does the word eongelion mean, good news? So there is good news often in our lives. 
Good news could be things like, there's a group of Chi Alpha students and their leaders every Sunday after church, they go to Riverside, Burger on High Street. And there are times where I go there and I see them. And whenever we see each other, we go, aren't cheeseburgers amazing? Whenever someone says, let's go have cheeseburgers, that is, that's good news. Amen? Amazing news. We have a young lady from our church that was part, has been part of our family, very dear friends with one of my daughters who got engaged yesterday. Engagement is good news, but it ain't euangelion. It's not even close. You see, euangelion in the ancient world, good news was reserved for one thing, and that was the announcement of kings. That's it. Nothing else. As good as cheeseburgers are, and I believe Jesus would eat cheeseburgers if he was here on this earth, but with as good as cheeseburgers are and the young lady getting engaged, that is good news, but it's not euangelion. Eungelion is a technical word in Greek that announces the stuff of kings. And so if you were in a town and a runner came into town and began to shout, by the way, there was no texting or tweeting in the ancient Roman world. They had people that ran around and proclaimed good news. And they would run into your town and they would bring eungelion. They would bring gospel. They would bring good news. And it was always the announcement of kings. When a Caesar was born, when the king wanted everyone to know that a war had been won and now the world was changed, that's what eungelion is about. And so when we look in Scripture we discover that the gospel of Mark begins by saying the beginning of the news about a king, the euangelion, the good news, the beginning of the good news about Jesus. It's a world-changing news. Now, with that said, let's go a little bit further in Mark chapter 1, and let's look at what Mark says about Jesus himself. Mark chapter one, verses 14 and 15. Here's what it says. After John, meaning the Baptist, after John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming what? Good news. He went around proclaiming the Eun Galion. Jesus went into the Galilee proclaiming the gospel. Good news, gospel, same exact word. Jesus went into the Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. The time has come, he said. And what does it say next? The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the gospel. I want you to keep that in mind. Jesus when he steps into his earthly ministry, is proclaiming the gospel of God. And Jesus announced the time has come, the kingdom of God is now here, the gospel of the kingdom, it's here, and what I want you to do is repent and believe the gospel. I want you to believe this news. I want you to open your heart and believe that the kingdom of God is now here. 
Now, what Jesus says in verse 15 is this, that you have to repent to believe it. You must repent to believe the good news that the kingdom of God is here. Well, what does repent mean? Repent is the Greek word metaneo. Meta means changed after being with, and noeo is to think. So to repent literally means to think differently afterwards. So to repent means that you have an encounter with someone and you change your mind. You think differently after you hear something or you intersect with a person. That's what repent means. Now, I was raised in a church, and it's not wrong. I was, cha- I was raised in a church where to step into the kingdom of God or to follow Jesus, you have to repent of your sins. That's absolutely the case. But the biggest thing you must repent of or change your mind about is the kingdom of God. That's the biggest thing. What do you believe to be true of the kingdom, and did Jesus bring it in? Now, if you think about repenting, and you think about changing your mind, my son told me a humorous story, and I, I want to relay it to us, because it was just a great story about changing your mind. He was talking about how when he was overseas, he was studying in a master's program, and it, it was in a place at a, a university that's really known for smart people, and uh, he said he, for the, one of the few times in his life, actually knew he was nowhere near the smartest person in the room. And he got to know this couple who were just brilliant people, just high-end, brilliant, brilliant. And he said he sat down with them, and one of the couples shared a story. And the story was this. One of the couple said, you know, um, I had an experience where I learned something from my spouse. And here's what they learned. They had believed in what they called sun dust. Sun dust. Well, what in the world is sun dust? Well, They believed, and they found out they were wrong by the following, because their spouse would come home, and whenever they came home, the spouse that got home or was there all day would leave all the drapes closed, all the the shutters, the blinds down, and the house was always dark. And finally, the spouse couldn't take it anymore, and they said, every time I come in, I leave, the windows are open, the light shining in, and then you close all the curtains, the drapes, the blinds, and it's totally dark in the house. Why do you do that? It's depressing. And they said, no, it isn't. That keeps out the sun dust. And they said, what in the world is sun dust? As smart as this person was. They said, well, sun dust is the thing that sunlight creates in the room. So when you open up the blinds and the light comes in, sun dust comes with it. So if you keep the curtains and the drapes and the blinds down, we don't have to dust because the sun dust won't come in. And their spouse said, how could you believe that to be true? The light comes in and the dust is already in the air and it shows you the dust is there. They said, oh no, that's sun dust. It comes in with the sunlight. Sunlight creates sun dust. And they had this argument over dust and sun dust. And finally, the light bulb went off. And they went, oh my gosh, my whole life I believed in sun dust. From then on, 
they left the curtains open and the light came in and life was better. Well, the question is, what do we believe about the gospel? What do we believe? Well, when we think about the gospel and we think about repenting, you see, that individual had to repent of their vision of sundust. They had to change their mind. They had an encounter with their spouse, and after that, their mind was changed, and they opened up the drapes and the curtains, and they lived differently. There was a repentance of sundust. Now, if you think about it in Scripture, the text tells us that Jesus, again, in Mark 1, 14 through 15, the text says, after John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Believe the gospel. And then the gospel of Matthew launches Jesus' ministry the same way. Matthew 4.23 says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. I have a question for you. What is the gospel to you? What is the gospel? Well, some of you are going to say, well, I know there's four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's four of them. There's four gospels. But I want to ask an honest question. What do you believe the gospel is? I know, and it's not wrong, I was raised in a church that taught us the gospel was that Jesus died, rose again for my sin, and if I put my faith, hope, and trust in him, I'm saved. But I have a question for you. If Jesus went around in Mark and Matthew at the beginning of his ministry, and he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom... He wasn't dead yet. He wasn't buried yet. He wasn't raised to new life yet. So Jesus' gospel was something different than we think it is. His gospel was this. The kingdom of God is now here. Repent, believe, and get ready. The kingdom of God is here. Is it wrong to say that Jesus dead, buried, and resurrected is the gospel? It's part of it, but it's not the gospel in its entirety. The gospel is actually the kingdom of God is at hand. So now when we think about this, what we're going to do for the entire year is we're going to take a look at what is the kingdom of God. Because if the gospel to Jesus, and you'll notice in both of the gospels, when Jesus proclaims the gospel, proclaims the good news, it's always this, the kingdom of God. His declaration, his proclamation, his good news, his eungelion, his gospel was that the kingdom of God has come near. Repent. Change your mind about what the kingdom of God is. Get open, 
get ready, repent. So how do we put feet to our faith with this series that's coming and the year that lies ahead? First of all, follow Jesus. Follow him. Next, know that Jesus came to announce the good news. And the good news to Jesus was the kingdom of God is now here. Repent. Change your mind. Last but not least, believe the good news. Believe the gospel that Jesus preached. Because the gospel that Jesus preached was this. The kingdom of God is here. What does that mean for you and for me? That's what we will be unpacking for the next year. But this morning, I wanted to challenge all of us with the concept of what the good news is, what the gospel is. Because again, I was raised that the gospel was Jesus dead, buried, resurrected, and if you believe in him, you're saved from your sins. That's part of the gospel. But the actual gospel to Jesus was an announcement. It was an eungelion. It was an announcement that would change the entire world. And it was this. The kingdom of God is now here. Would you stand with me? As we stand together, I love the fact that this is the beginning of the year. If we make commitments at the beginning of a year, we have a 10 times greater chance of fulfilling them. As we learned earlier, New Year's resolutions work well if other people help us. I believe that the Holy Spirit has been sent to help us with the commitment that we're going to make in a moment. Not only that, following Jesus is never done alone. It's clear in the text. Together is always better than alone. It's a biblical maxim. With that said, the challenge is for all of us is that we would commit that 2022 will be a year where we will repent and believe that the kingdom of God is here. So would we close our eyes just for a moment? Would you, with the empowering of the Spirit, take a moment and say a personal prayer to God, a personal prayer to Jesus, one where you make a commitment to journeying into the kingdom of God and to repent and to believe that the kingdom of God in Jesus is now here.